Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, good morning. I've got a microphone. The coffee's hot. The folks are coming in. I'm going to move this for right now. You're welcome to anything you want with it later. <laughs> but thank you. And uh, if you're coming in and want to sit right up close, that'll help me. It won't help you. I'll spit on No, I promise not to. But, you know, it, it always helps to be able to see you a little better. Uh, delight to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Cliff. Delight. Um, when we were getting ready to do a parenting conference recently, in uh, we were in Colorado Springs with our son at Christmas time and then traveling, uh, I asked him, I, I said to him, okay, we run around the country doing all kinds of da-da-da-da, including parenting conferences. And I said, it'd be nice for me to hear from you what you think, really. We tell people what we think is the big deal, and, and let me say parenthetically, we're being a little bit biographical. We're telling our story. I trust that you will trust my heart, Debbie's heart. We're never, ever seeking to say, well, we're something special. Look what we did. I trust that you will know that we are sharing what the Lord has done through us. Paul said that. He, he said, I won't talk about anything except that which the Lord has done through us. So this isn't about us saying, well, look what we did. Everybody say yes. That's right. Okay, we agree. So I said to him, what did you think about <laughs> being raised by us? And, and, we've, and what do you think were the important things? He sa- and he said this. He said, well, Dad, I really appreciate the strategies, methods, techniques you used with us and I'm doing with my sons and daughters. And, and, and that was really valuable. But that was the third most important thing. He said the second most important thing that you did is you really loved us. You really loved us. And we felt it and we knew it. He said, but by far the most important thing was that more than any of that, you loved Jesus and we all knew it. And you didn't talk about it. You did it all day long and that's what captured our heart and kept us coming with you. So, having said that, I I want to say that when we do discipling conferences, we say that 86.297348% approximately of making disciples of Jesus is being a disciple of Jesus. So I want to just say up front, if all we did in this whole time here with you, and thank you again, it's a delight to be with you. If all we did was talk about our relationship with Jesus and how to be more like him, that would be the best parenting conference we could do. Does everybody get that? I really mean it. I, I hope you, I hope you get that. So, so, um, we're going to be talking, uh, our book, If Jesus Were a Parent, is out here. We're going to be talking today and tomorrow about two or three chapters of 13. And tomorrow night, we will be showing what we did every day to help our children, to connect our kids to the Lord. Tonight, we'll be talking about some very critically important personal processes of individually discipling them. This morning, I'm going to talk about some other things, get us going here. So I want to begin by uh, just part, uh, part of the start of our parenting story. How's that? Um, Debbie will tell later on tonight, she will tell her side of the part of the start from her perspective. Let me, let me just begin by my side a little bit. It was right here in this district that we were engaged. We were, we were at Pine Low one month before our wedding at a service, 
And I heard the Lord. Now, I say you get three times in your life where you get to say you heard the Lord. Now, we want to hear Him before every word and every act, but, but occasionally we say, God told me. But most of the time say, maybe, or I'm pretty sure, or I kind of think, or I hope. Just be humble and tentative. Don't, don't be so arrogant and say, God told me, and what's left after that. Problem is, most of the time people say that, turns out they weren't so right, and then we have to deal with that. See, So, so anyhow, but I will say, <laughs> this is one of those times in my life where I say, God told me, it's when He called me to be a pastor. And I told Debbie about it after the service at Pine Low, and... and uh, uh, she was ready to become a pastor's wife instantly, and that's a good story. But I spent the next six years, six years, studying very intensively what Jesus would do if he were called to be a pastor today. Because I was scared to death of being a pastor. I'd seen things. I'd, I'd been in some good churches, some of the best. I'd been in a lot of ones that weren't so good. And I was scared to death of it. I was a teacher and a coach. And uh, in fact, your pastor at the time, clear back when I was in college, I won't tell you his name, none of you probably remember, but he called me, he got a job for me right here in Lewiston. I almost started teaching here, but uh, anyhow, that's a different story. So, so I began studying intensively, intensively, Jesus, I'll be a pastor, but I've got to know how you do it. In the process, I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over taking notes of what Jesus did. They called me a Methodist. I, I was all about methods. I looked what Jesus did. And I discovered some things critically important. Number one, that I hadn't heard people talk a lot. I heard, I saw about Jesus and his relationship to the Father, including all kinds of time with him and, and how much he was the most discipled person to ever walked the planet. I'm going to talk about that this morning. That's what I'm going to talk with you about, about Jesus and how he was the most discipled person to ever walked the planet. But then I discovered something else that nobody was talking about back then. Now everybody's talking about it. In fact, it's our mission statement of our church. But back then, nobody was talking about making disciples. You, now you know how long ago it was. But, but today we are. But I discovered Jesus doing that, giving all kinds of time to focusing just on a few. And so I began to study, well, how did he, what did he do with those guys that he, call, that he called to be with him? And so... I wrote stacks and stacks and stacks of those yellow notebook pages, just stacks of them. Wrote, filled out what Jesus did with Peter, James, and John. What he did, how he did it. I just, I just studied it like crazy. And as time went along, as I went through seminary, and I was a youth pastor and then went through seminary, as I did that and coming down to the end, I discovered that there were about eight basic principles that I found in Jesus' life. And... In order to make it practical, I found that there were about three ways I could, if I could get three things going, I, I could get all those eight principles into those three basic activities. And so I gave myself to getting a plan together. Graduated from seminary, went to our first church in New Jersey, and uh, shared with the board that if I come, this is what I'm called to do, and here's how I'll do it. That'll mean some other things we can't do, and this is what I'm going to call to do. And I just here's what I got to do, and you don't want me, probably, because this is what I have to do as a pastor. And those crazy people, they said, well, let's give it a try. And we did, and it was stunningly, it was glory, and I wish I had time to tell you a bunch of those stories. Bottom line is, we, we gave ourselves to knowing what it is to be a disciple and how it is you make disciples and 
And, and that was our life, and we were going crazy. I even was asked to write some stuff back then, a book about disciple-making, and, and we were headlong into it. Debbie and I were discipling 13 couples one-on-one. -on -one. It took almost 40 hours a week, and we were starting from the center out and all that stuff. And, and we, we were just into it hard, and then my wife got pregnant. And I'll let her tell that story tonight, and you'll like it. But... Um, I'll, I'll skip all the way past that and I don't want to steal any of her thunder. It's a good story. But I will tell you that she was pregnant with triplets and, uh, and delivered triplets. But we weren't anticipating triplets for various reasons. And so I got stuck with my labor in the whole process was to figure out a new set of names because we weren't planning for triplets. So I'm sitting down there trying to figure out names for the triplets and I'm thinking about, because see, I was a youth pastor and I was a high school coach and high school teacher and that had been my career. And, and I had parents coming to me all the time, all the time, parents coming to me about their teenage kids and they'd given up. I mean, I didn't know one parent, and I, I've thought about this, I didn't know one parent that was coming to me saying, our kids are doing great, <laughs> relax. They were all coming to me panicked. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out names for our triplets and all of a sudden, I have a thought. Three kids getting their driver's license the same day. And it gets worse. Three kids going to a certain college the same day. And then all the stories of all the parents' problems with their kids and the tensions and the fighting and the battles and the rebellion. And I very sincerely, it wasn't a swear word, very sincerely, I said, Jesus, what am I going to do? And I was petrified panicked and I heard him say something and I'm using one of my three right now I heard him say something he said do what I did now no one else that, that probably wouldn't mean anything to anyone else but I just given six years and I've been working at it for two years beyond that I just gave my life to figuring out what Jesus did and I knew exactly what he meant he meant there was 6,000 people hanging around, and that's just the men. He, he selected 12 to be with them, to invite them just to come and be family to him. And I talked about it that way. The disciples were his family. And most of those disciples, as far as we know, were teenagers. <laughs> Jesus was the first official youth pastor. I mean, he, he, he had a ragtag group of teenagers, and he invited to be his family. And when I heard, do what I did, I knew that meant I had 12. You've got three. These are your disciples. You're running around the country going crazy to making disciples. These are your first primary disciples. And so we gave ourselves with all the strategies, all the things that I'd studied from Jesus and being and doing what he was and did, we very intentionally and strategically gave ourselves to working with our kids like that. And we did. And we'll tell you some of the stories before the time together is over. But I say all that to let you know the foundation. That what we did with our kids, we did out of deep intentionality, believing it's what Jesus did with his disciples that we'd stolen from him. On purpose. And so... 
I'm going I'm to start at this point. Again, I'll, I'll quote my scientific study. 86 point, and you probably remember, 3472924.6, I mean 6% of making Christ-like disciples in the family or in the church is being one. It's being like Jesus. In the service this morning, in the worship service, we're going to talk about how Jesus lived his life, and you won't recognize it. I'm going to, actually, what I'm going to tell you right now is the background for this morning's message. So, we start here. If Jesus were a parent, what would he do? If Jesus were a parent, what would he do? And here's the answer. He'd be like Jesus. He'd be like Jesus. Now you know everything I know. We can go home. Take an offering, eat cookies, and go home. If Jesus were a parent, he'd be like Jesus. How's that sound? That make sense? So, let's think about what Jesus was like. Let me show you the first thing about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus did absolutely nothing apart from his Father? He says, the Son can do nothing by himself. Talking about himself. He's saying, I can do nothing by myself. Now, now what that... Are, are the teenagers in here? One, got two, got a few, good. Okay, way to go, gang. I was hoping there'd be about 40 of you right here because I heard, the, well, anyhow, thanks, glad you're here. So, Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. That does not mean that he didn't have the ability to walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. It means, and you see as we go along, it means Jesus saying, the son will do nothing. The son will not allow himself to do anything independently see the essence of our sin the essence of our not being like Jesus is that we're Americans no I didn't mean that we are independent see we do things on our own we do what we think and what we feel and what we want Jesus wouldn't do that the son can do nothing by himself he can do only what he sees the father doing now this is Jesus self-testimony he is saying, before I do something, I make sure that this is what my Father is doing. One way or another, and that's a whole theological discussion, Jesus said, I, I defer, I prefer my Father's direction. I don't do it on my own. I'm not independent. I'm dependent. Jesus was the most dependent person that ever walked the planet. And he said, come to me. Learn of me. Follow me. Jesus wouldn't go anywhere. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't do things alone. He waited. He yielded. He submitted. He served his father. Pretty close to what that says? Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Well, there's more. The, Jesus said, nothing apart from his Father. He, he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything apart from his Father. I do nothing on my own, Jesus said. I do nothing on my own. But I speak just what the Father has taught me. <laughs> Imagine, Jesus is saying, before I speak... Before I talk, I put it in neutral and say, Oh, Father, what do you want me to say? That is a lot of relationship. 
Would you say so? Jesus had a lot of relationship with his father. So what, what I'm saying, if, if Jesus were a parent, here's how he'd parent. He wouldn't whoop, talk without first. And now you're saying to me, you're nuts. That's crazy. I'm just telling you <laughs> that most of being a really good parent is being like Jesus. So far, so good. <laughs> And, and so Jesus, he just wouldn't say things. He had a great break. Things happened. He was pressured. He was pushed, wasn't he? His guys even pushed him, his kids. But Jesus waited. He didn't react by his flesh. The word did become flesh, you know. But he didn't let the flesh rule him. He waited. And you're legitimately thinking, oh, I could never do that. Well, I don't believe that. <laughs> I believe we can be people of faith. I believe we can be people who have faith in God. Real faith in God, which means we don't trust saying what we think. <laughs> we're going to find out what our Father by the Spirit through the Word says to us, and we're going to say what He wants. I believe we could do that. In fact, I know we can. In fact, I know we're called to do it. We'll talk about it in the second service. So, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. Whoa! That's how Jesus walked. It, it, it gets, if you can imagine this, it gets worse or better. I mean, you know, depending on your perspective. Jesus, if he were a parent, he wouldn't make any judgments or come to conclusions apart from his Father. Jesus said, by myself I can do nothing. He keeps repeating that. By myself... I refuse to behave. I refuse to speak. Now, he says, I refuse to make judgments on my own. He says, I judge only as I hear. And he's talking about what he hears from the Father. And my judgment is righteous. It is right. It's good. I make righteous judgments. Why? Because my motives are not for me. My motives are for my Father. I do not seek to please myself, but Him who sent me. And so it doesn't come through a biased filter of I'm really trying to get God to agree with me and so I can say and do what I want to say and do. This is not about me. I died to me. It's not me. It's about my Father. Did, did you know this about Jesus? I'm sure you did. This is just right here in John, you know. I'm sure you've read it many times. So Jesus says... By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I heard. I, I came to realize way too late that I was the most hideous, sinful person with respect to judging. I was a pastor. Sanctified. Whatever. Well, we'll talk about that. And it dawned on me how many times I would see a situation and boom, come to a conclusion. As if I had all the information. <laughs> That's what judging is. It's getting whatever information you have and making a judgment, coming to a conclusion. And Jesus said, eh, don't do that. Remember? He said it very clearly. And that's the one verse of Scripture that everybody 30 and under knows. They don't know John 3.16, but they know don't judge. And there are reasons that they've made that their mantra. I, I didn't realize it, how much I judged my wife. Gather a little bit of information, 
come to a conclusion about her. And from then on, I, everything she did and said ran through the filter of my judgment. Oh, I tried to be nice on the outside some of the times and most of the time. And, but I had an opinion about her that was not accurate and thus it distorted our relationship because I didn't have all the information. I didn't. There's only one who has all the information. Do you know who that is? There is one who has all the information. There's one who knows everything that ever went into Debbie, knows everything that ever happened for her, knows how she responded to everything, knows er- understands her perfectly. There's no way that I understand her or anyone else because I don't have all the information. And every time I make a judgment about anyone, every time I come to a conclusion, either good or bad, without adequate information, I'm setting myself up for a chaotic relationship because I'm not working with the truth. I'm working about my assumption of what the truth is. Everybody with me? And Jesus wouldn't judge his kids. He could have. Until, until he went to the Father and said, Father, I wait to get all the information from you. And I'm stepping on some of your theology right here and your pastor will straighten this all out next Sunday. I'll be gone. He didn't even hear that. Can't believe it. <laughs> but it's true. Jesus was tempted in all ways. That means he had thoughts come into his mind all the time. All the time Jesus had thoughts come into his mind. Jesus, Jesus was tempted. And it would have been very, very easy for him to come to conclusions about Peter or James or John or Herod or Judas. He, he could have come to conclusions about them very easily. Because he was pretty sharp, you know. But he wouldn't. And it's even not mostly about getting the right answer. It's mostly about whether Jesus would walk independently of his Father and come to his own conclusions or dependently on his Father coming to the Father's conclusions so the two could be one. So Jesus could say, anytime you see me, you're seeing the Father. Anytime you hear me, you're hearing the words of my Father. It's all about relationship with the Father. Okay? And if you're thinking with me, you're saying, he's nuts. That's too much relationship. Jesus was the most dependent person ever walked the planet. My, my dad, my dad, I, I, I love my dad. In fact, I told him every night when I was two, I, I started telling him I love you. And, and then right about that time, I figured out a little distinction. I said, I love you and I like you too. And for me, those are two different things. And and I decided when I was three, I'd say it to him every night. I love you and I like you too. But I'd say it three times because I was three. When I got to be four, I told him four. And it got to be, I mean, it got to be a long little deal. Every night, my poor dad's sitting there listening to his kids say, I love you and I like you too. I love you and I like you too. I love you. I mean, it was a big deal, you know. And, and I really did love my dad. But there's no way, no way. I, I didn't begin to ever, before I did anything, I didn't love my dad enough that before I did anything, I'd say, oh, dad, I want to do it your way. What do you want? Or, or before I said anything, I'd say, oh, dad, I'm not going to say it unless, unless I hear it from you first. I'll be quiet until I know what you'd say. Or, dad, I'm not going to think about them or think about them or think about that anyway until I've humbly come to you to say, I, I know that you've got all the information. I didn't come close to that. 
But Jesus did. That's how Jesus walked. And that's how he'd parent. His kids, he wouldn't do anything. That's first. He wouldn't say anything. Unless first, oh, Father, what do you want me to say? He wouldn't judge his kids. He wouldn't assume that he knew their motives. He wouldn't assume anything. He would only come to conclusions having heard the Father say, this is righteous judgment. And then he and we are commanded to make righteous judgments, but because we don't have all the information, the only way we can make a righteous judgment is no God's judgment. That's that's a lot of relationship with God, the Father. Do you want that much relationship with Him? (laughs) You know, women are crazy. (laughs) They get married thinking that men want a lot of relationship. Did you notice that? (laughs) But that's nothing compared to what Jesus had with His Father. So if Jesus were a parent, whoa, He'd start with a lot of relationship. And you legitimately could say, well, wow, how, how could I ever begin to have that? I mean, how, that's impossible. Everybody, it's okay to say amen right there. I mean, that's, when Jesus died on the cross, <laughs> do, you, do you know why he was the sinless Lamb of God? Because he fought Moment by moment to not let his flesh rule him. He, he fought to say humbly dependent. He had faith in his father. He didn't put his faith in himself one time. As far as we, I mean, you know. He didn't. And he thus was sinless. Have I lived one day like that? No. Do I want to? Yes. Does he know it? Yes. Was I a hundred times better parent? Because I tried to slow down in front of my kids. Only do what Jesus was doing. Mm -hmm. Only say what Jesus would say. Mm -hmm. Did I do it perfectly? Not by a long shot. Did I want to? Yes. When I failed, did I tell my kids I messed up? I wasn't like Jesus? Yes. And they knew it. And it wasn't near as much about them as it was about who they were watching. Does that make sense? You see, what you do here every Sunday is and better be the most important thing for your parenting, your grandparenting, your loving your neighbors, and your leading people to Jesus. Because if you don't get if you don't if you don't get renewed and restored, not just here on Sunday, but in your own times with the Lord, if you don't get renewed and restored so that you're living like Jesus, they're not seeing Jesus, they're just seeing another person like them. So parenting is all about what's going on here. Is this good news or bad news? I mean, you thought we were going to talk about what color spoons to buy. No, not really. Well, how, how did Jesus walk so sensitively, so dependently? Does anybody have any ideas? I, I've got an idea or two. I think they're right. It could be wrong. I hope you'll tell me. Please, if what I'm saying isn't true, tell me because we run around telling folks as if we think it's true. And if it's not, I need to, I need to know it. How did Jesus walk so sensitively and so dependently? 
Well, at daybreak, early in the morning, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, you could guess. This Luke goes on, and he probably tells us, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, now when Jesus prayed, do you imagine that mostly he was explaining to his Father the conditions here on planet so the Father would know? Probably not. There were a lot of things Jesus did when he prayed. and He, he not only showed us, but he taught. John 17, you know, Matthew 5, 6. But Jesus went out. I mean, he was busy. But he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He did it early and often. He got alone with the Father. Huh. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying. I can hear his mom. I mean, you know, Jesus, Jesus had a Messiah complex. He, he, thought, he, he thought he didn't come to, to, to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. And his mom knew it, and, and I'm sure that, I'm sure when Jesus was staying all night praying, his mom was saying, come on, what, what are you thinking? You might catch a cold, and you got a lot of work to do, man, come on. Jesus, Jesus with probably a greater set of responsibility tasks than we have. I mean, he had 12 kids. He had a big job. Probably with greater pressures than any of us have ever begun to understand for him accomplishing what he came to do. Jesus thought that he needed time with his father. Most pastors, most parents, we've got big jobs to do. We're responsible for people and, their, and their, their eternal relationship with God. And we know it. We get it. And so we work hard and furiously. Jesus spent a lot of time with his father. Do you think he knew what he was doing? I mean, I wonder if maybe, I wonder. One day he was praying in private and his disciples were with him. I'm really glad. Uh, it sounds kind of funny. He was praying in private and they were with him. Well, I think it means he was really focused on his father, but his disciples were there watching and listening and he was coaching them. He was discipling them in what they could, should do, just like he was getting it for himself. One day he was praying in a certain place. He, he, had, he had a particular place where he prayed. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. You know, um, each evening he went out. Do you know what he did each evening? He went as usual to the Mount of Olives and prayed. Now, that obviously is just during a per certain season. Sometimes he wasn't close enough to the Mount of Olives to go out. You know, but, but there it is. The, the point I want to make is this. Probably, and, and it'd be fun to talk with a bunch of theologians about this, probably the reason that Jesus was so sensitive to his Father that he could say, I don't do anything, 
I don't say anything. I don't even come to conclusions on my own. I don't even look around and judge things by myself. I don't do anything independently, my Father. Everything I do is dependent on Him, not only for direction, but for power. Uh, and well, if I had time to talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'd show that to you. Jesus probably was able to sustain that kind of sensitivity and responsiveness, awareness. Do you ever forget God? I forget Him all the time. And I hate it. I claim I love Him with all my heart. I forget about Him. Jesus didn't. And I think, I know it helped if it wasn't the primary reason, it was one of the primary reasons that Jesus could be so sensitive to His Father was that He spent all this time with His Father. He spent a lot of time hanging out with his father, being discipled by his father. Let me, let me illustrate it. Um, I don't know if you know what Luke 22 is. It's the, uh, um, it's the story of Jesus, Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. 24, we're into the resurrection. All that. 22, it's just before Jesus went to the cross. And so, hear this. This is Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives and prayed. So this is his habit. This is what he does. This is how he lives his life. This is his tradition. So he goes. And it's, it's kind of like he's it's kind of like he's lost something. He, he says to his disciples, they, they just got through with the Lord's Supper, their first Passover meal. And, and, he, and he says to them, come with me. Let, let's Let's pray. And so he starts walking with his disciples. And then he says, no. He says, you guys stay here. And, and, and then he goes on a little further and he stops. and he, he goes back and he says, Peter, James, John, you guys come with me. And he takes them away and he stops again. He said, no, you guys stay here. I mean, he's like... And, and then... He goes off by himself. You know what he does? Falls on his face. And on his face, Luke says, his sweat is blood, or he's sweating blood, or his sweat is like blood. One, one time I was talking about this, and, and uh, I kind of, he said, you know, uh, the Bible isn't exactly, uh, there's different interpretations of the translation, and, and uh, I had a guy who was a Ph.D. in biology come up to me afterwards and he said, you do know, don't you, that, that the human body, when under enough stress, the human body, the, the blood vessels near the sweat glands will break and the blood will come up through the sweat glands as if you're sweating blood. So I, I'm just going to go that that's probably exactly what's happening. Jesus was sweating blood. He was under horrendous stress. You see, he'd been talking about the cross off and on to his disciples gradually. But then as he went along, the cross got closer and closer and bigger and bigger. It started way out here, but then it got right smack in front of him. And, and this night, this night when he's on his way to pray, all that he can see is the cross right there. It's that big. And, and he's seen Roman crucifixions. It's not theory. It's right there in front of him. And it, it's... He's stressed. 
I think one of the greatest, of course, he knows the, the demonic horde that will attack him, but I think one of the greatest stress points is that under the pressure he's going to go through, he will actually fail to be sensitive to his father like he's been all along. And thus be independent, the very essence of sin, like all of us have been and live out. And I, I think that was one of the greatest stress points for him, that he, that he fail on the way to the cross. He'd fail when people are stabbing him, slamming him. I mean, I don't know that. So, so Jesus is there on his face and sweating blood. And he's crying out to his father. We all know what he said. He said, Father, if there be any way possible, if it's possible, please, could you change your mind? Take, take the cup from me. I, if you can't change your mind, I'll do it. But I'm wondering, as you see everything, is it possible to adjust your will? And he's dialoguing with the father. He's working with it. And, and, and he knew that the father had told him that, that he didn't have to go to the cross, that the father wouldn't make him go. He knew that the father had had said to him, it's your privilege to lay down your life or not to. He knew he was free. But he, he wasn't saying, okay, Father, you said, I don't have to, so I don't think I will. He was saying, Father, I will. My will is said, I will. But is there any, would, would you be willing to consider changing your mind so I can do what you want That's what we know. He was there for an hour. Whatever went on, we don't know anymore. That's what we know. After an hour, we know that he didn't get clear. He didn't get things straight. He didn't get it, he didn't get it worked out with his father. So he went back to his disciples and they were still asleep. He said some things to him. Then he came back again and started over. We don't have record except he said the same thing. One night when I was a senior in college, I was studying this passage. And uh, I had another one of those times where, uh, and this time I won't say it was the Lord, but I think it was. I, I was studying and I had an open picture and it just kind of played out like a drama in front of me. I, I didn't plan it. I, I didn't make it up. It just happened. And I can't say for sure but I think it was the Lord It certainly transformed my life because I was there looking at Jesus, staring at the cross, sweating blood on his face before his father, just agonizing. And all of a sudden, I saw the father. I saw the father looking up, I mean, looking down at Jesus. I saw his hands reached out to Jesus. And the father was silent. Jesus had poured out his heart poured out his heart and poured out his heart and the father wasn't saying anything. And then finally when Jesus was collapsed and emptied of all, he was dead quiet. Dead quiet. And I saw and heard the father reach down, kind of touch Jesus and lift him a little. <laughs> Look into his eyes and say, You are my son. You are the son I love. I am so pleased with you. 
we agreed what you would do and you came and you did everything we agreed to. Not one time did you ignore me. Never once. Everyone else has. You didn't. You wouldn't. You, you've been perfect. And my, my pleasure with you is so great. And about that time, Jesus started to see his father and hear him. And he started hearing that he was loved. And he started hurting his, hearing his value from his father. And he kind of lost that. And the cross got a little further. And Jesus' eyes began to tear up a little as he began to hear his father. And, and the father kept going. And he said, I, I'd like to scoop you out. I know what they're going to do, and I'd like to protect you, and I could. And if you tell me to, I will. <laughs> but I need to remind you that, that just like I love you, I love Abraham and Moses and Noah and Jonah, and, and I love Peter and James and John, and, and I love Judas, and I love Herod, and I love Pilate, and, and I love people thousands of years down the... Just as I love you, it's my name. I can't help it. I, I'm for every one of them. I want to save them all. Just like I want to pull you, I want to save them. And, and I need to remind you, you've kind of lost just a moment here. I need to remind you now that you're just an inch. You're just an inch from finishing this. You, you're about to be the Lamb of God. You, if you come and, and, and you get crucified, it won't be for your sin, for your rebellion, for your indifference, for your pride, because you never were. You've been perfect in dependence on me. If you die, it'll make, it'll throw the doors open to all these others and I won't force them, but if they want to, they can come to me. And Jesus was hearing it. And, he, and the cross started to get further and further away. He, he looked up and he saw his father and he saw his father and heard the father. He felt love and as he saw the father looking at all these, he looked and he saw them and love began to fill his soul. <laughs> and, and then he realized the cross was the, the mission. It was the purpose. And the reason for the cross was love for the Father and love for everyone else. And the Father even whispered, and you'll be glad throughout the ages. And there was even joy in his own heart as he anticipated the victory of the cross. And with Jesus' heart being filled with the truth from a good conversation with a good father. And that's what good fathers do, you know. They help their sons and their daughters who, who can't quite see. They can't quite see very far. All they can see is right now. And, and they're doing things and they're wanting to do things that don't make sense. And good fathers, they've earned the right in the relationship to have the conversation. And they, they help their kids see the big picture. And the kids, having been with a father who loves them and who would die for them and who is willing, but calls them to something of value, something noble. The good kid, Good fathers do that with their kids and God the Heavenly Father did that with His Son. So everything, everything that we know about being redeemed probably came out of the Father-Son conversation. Jesus filled with an awareness of being loved. Filled with an awareness of the Father inviting Him in to the Father's purposes. Jesus was able to stand and to throw back his shoulders and now it was clear. No more, no more sweat. No more weeping. Agony, no more confusion. Now it was clear. He could see the truth and the truth set him free. And he launched out and said, come now. Let us be going. 
The greatest moment in history, in my opinion, was a father-son meeting in a garden. And it's affected us all. And, and we've all got our crosses, don't we? Don't we? We've all got our crosses. And it's so easy for those crosses to drive us every which way. But Jesus' cross drove him to a garden. In the garden, he, he talked about the cross and he poured it out. But the Father helped him see beyond the cross. Above the cross. He's a good father. See, that's what good fathers do. Most of our fathers haven't been coached like that. Most moms don't have those kinds of relationships. Somehow, some way, we in the church, starting with who Jesus was and who his father is, we've got to come back to the essential core of, of what it is we do in watching over. But the way we'll be the best father and the best mother is by being the best child. Going to our father, getting truth and Realizing what he says to us, Jesus was full of grace and truth. If you're going to be a parent like Jesus, you have to be full of grace and truth. But Jesus was graced by his Father. His Father loved him no matter what. And Jesus knew it and felt it. In his moments, time after time, he went to hear the truth from his Father again. He got it clear and got his soul strong and marched out day after day after day, finally one day all the way to a cross. You see? So the best thing we can do as parents, as pastors, as responsible to help other people is to realize our crosses are our best opportunity and let them drive us to our garden. And let us hear again the words from our Father so we're renewed and strengthened so then we can march on and deny ourselves and take up our cross and our kids will see that. And then when they have their crosses, they'll know the place to come running. They won't go to their friends nearly so quick. They, they won't go to the... They, they, they'll know because we love them like the Father loves us because we're just parenting as He would. See, they'll come to us and they'll pour out their hearts to us. And we'll say, let's talk. I'm for you. I'd die for you. That's what Jesus says to us. I'd give my life for relationship with you. And as parents, our kids never have a problem. It's we have a problem our kids have, it's not their problem, it's our problem. And it's not their cross, it's our cross. And we're there to have the most important conversations with them when they're in the decision making. And they want to do everything that doesn't make sense, it's not logical to us as great big adult grown parents who can see it, but they don't see it. And they're real susceptible to all the voices around them. And they need a parent who's like Jesus. Does this make sense? It's way too hard. No, it's not. It's casting your cares on Him because He cares for you. It's learning to run to the garden. It's having a garden you run to. It's being so discipled by the Lord Jesus Himself that all day long you're sensitive to Him and you're committed to not doing anything apart from Him or saying anything apart from Him or even thinking anything apart from Him, including Him in the conversation. It's a lot of relationship with the Father and with our kids. And they'll become missionaries with Jesus' mission, if we can coach him. Is that a guarantee? No. One of the greatest risks in all history was that Jesus could have been like Adam. See, make sense? Well, thank you. I wish we had an hour or two to say, well, let's talk about it. I hope, I hope it makes sense. 
that if Jesus were a parent, he'd be like Jesus. <laughs> and if you want your kids to be disciples of Jesus, you need to be his disciple. And he'll work in and for and through you. And that'll make you the best parent imaginable. Amen? Let's stand together. Lord, I pray by your Spirit that you will not, that you will help each of us here to not just throw off these words as ridiculously idealistic, impossible, unrealistic. I pray that you'll help grandparents here to realize that they could possibly start coaching their grown children if they've got something to coach with because they've been with you. I hope parents here will realize that the most important thing they'll ever do for their kids is to get off alone and be with you so that more and more throughout the day they, they defer to you, they prefer you to their own ways. Would you help us to be like Jesus who spent all kinds of time with the Father? and then lived a godly, God-led, God-empowered life by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, all of which is available to us if we're willing to invest in relationship with you and in relationship with our kids. Oh, but that's too much. No, it's not. It's a cheap price for the blessings and benefits. Thank you that you'll help us as we work together this day. Amen.